Good morning. I'm Michelle Galora. Our reading is from Matthew 6. Jesus said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. I'm going to uh, give a quick word of introduction to Chris. Uh, those of you who don't know or remember Chris, he was with us uh, 18 months ago. Um, so you should fondly remember him and his preaching. My kids said he was better than me, which I think just meant he was cooler than me, but I don't know. Um, it's always rude. Um, but hey, we're so glad to have Chris with us this morning. Chris um, and his wife and their kids live in Arlington. He's been part of Church of the Ascension for a couple of years now. Um, he finished seminary and is uh, in the process of finishing ordination in the Anglican Church sometime in the next uh, year, right? Something <laughs> like that. Um, and I'm so grateful to have Chris with us. He's very gifted as a communicator, as a musician in uh, ministry, and has a real heart for God and a passion for him. I'm going to pray for you as you bring God's word to us this morning. So Lord, um, watch over Chris and strengthen him as, uh, as he preaches. Give him clarity and let the words that he has prepared be the words we need to hear this morning. May our hearts receive your word through him this morning as God's word by his spirit to us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You don't have to worry too much. We're wearing the same shoes and I've got my sleeves cuffed, so I'll be your Johnny for today. Well, good morning. I am Chris Lugo and uh, as uh, Johnny said, I've been at Church of the Ascension for a couple years, and actually the last time I was here, it was actually kind of memorable for me and my family, because we were bold. We sat front row with our two little girls, and when you sit front row in church, like that's, that's like next level. And so we sat in the front row, and right before you guys were dismissing the kids, like you do a prayer and then the kids go out, my youngest got stuck in the seat. I don't know how. So like preachers love to be able to be like, I'm, I'm focusing on the Lord before I get up and I present his word and I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit. I was trying to get my kid out of one of these chairs. 
And so she was just going crazy, and we were trying to get her out, finally got her out, and then that's how it was memorable for me. Nothing else, that was it. Uh, as a parent, you would truly understand those moments and memories. So you guys, as well as uh, Ascension, we have been exploring this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus has been illustrating for us aren't moral platitudes to make us better behaved people, but rather an important way of being, like who we are and what we're meant to be like. This is why he calls us to be salt and light or a city on a hill. One of the reasons why this sermon is bracketed by the concept of the kingdom of heaven is because Jesus is saying this is what kingdom people should look like and this is what they are like. And one of those kingdom characteristics we're going to talk about today is prayer. Now, prayer isn't something that's just reserved for religious people. I've heard many, many times people pray at sporting events. I've heard people pray during the lottery. I've heard my mother pray when I did something wrong. I've heard prayer in many different contexts, so it's not just religious. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, prayer you know quite a bit about. As Anglicans, we are a praying people, right? Just look at our services. We have colleagues, we have prayers for Thanksgiving, we have prayer for the air, for, we have prayer for everything. We are one of the only denominations that has their own prayer book. So we have the litmus test, we have a book of common prayer. So contextually, we would actually relate to the disciples here, because Jesus is preaching to the disciples. We know about prayer. The disciples would have known about prayer, they were Jews, they had plenty of prayers to choose from. Yet Jesus sees that they're still lacking something. Now, you may be like me, where throughout my life, like many Christians and clergy, I didn't become a Christian until I was 21 years old. I really struggled with prayer. I struggled with the notion of getting into uncomfortable positions, talking out loud or silently, privately or corporately to someone I could not see or hear. I also, like many of you, struggled with the mystery of what prayer does and can do. So for even the most consistent and prayerful people, prayer can seem like a mystery. So if you're not a Christian this morning, or you're religious, or someone conned you and said they were taking you to breakfast and they brought you here, I'm sorry. But I understand your struggles, I understand your hesitancy, and I understand your doubts about prayer. But what we do know about prayer, as we see in Scripture, is that prayer is not only mysterious, but it is necessary. From the Old Testament to the New Testament... Prayer is a necessary and important part of believers' lives. So what better way to start with this mystery than to start where Jesus himself teaches us about prayer? So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. Don't be a hypocrite. This is pretty much something that we have either heard before or ourselves have said to someone else. The Greek stage used this word for actors, people who pretended to be other people. Basically, this means someone who pretends to be something he or she is not. We all know people like this. It's like the people who say, I'm vegan. You're like, look, we get it. You're vegan. Thanks. Or people tell you that they work out all the time. Great. I don't. Like, these are people pretending to be something that they really are not. Once you start diving down, they're not really vegan. They're like, oh, except when I eat chicken. Yeah, that's, that's not vegan. But social media is a breeding ground for this, right? 
Instagram, Facebook, it's a breeding ground for actors and pretenders. For Christians as well, we take photos of our Bibles or we say we're going to pray for someone and we don't do it. We try to appear super hyper-spiritual to some people. And so Jesus tells us why these guys are hypocrites. He says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues so they can be seen. Their prayers and the act of praying is, is about them. It's not even about the content of their prayers or praying to God. It's about being seen by other people praying. Jesus already stated saying beware of this in verse 1. Beware not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Beware making your prayers like a performance to get noticed. Jesus warns them not to miss the point of why they pray. It's not for likes. It's not for popularity. It's not for people to think that you're super spiritual. And he says, truly, they have the reward in full. Now, I love this line because he's basically saying, oh, don't worry. Just watch. Now, this could be eschatological meaning. It could be something like when the end times come, they're going to get their reward, or in immediate future, they're going to get their reward. I say yes. Jesus continues in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is describing going into a private, secluded place to pray, which is in direct contrast to the hypocrites who want to seek an audience. Now, what are the advantages of private prayer? You can groan, shout, question, wrestle with God. We can take our time. We can takes away from distractions or pressures of things we need to get done. It's helpful for us to focus on being in the presence of God, the intimacy and communion with Him. There are several instances where Jesus Himself pulled away from other people to pray by Himself. The most famous we have is in the garden. But Jesus is also not forbidding public prayer because we know Jesus also does this, where Jesus publicly prays before the crowds in Matthew chapter 11, and that he gives a public blessing or prayer among the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14. Again, Jesus is saying, it's not where we pray, but why we pray. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God sees everything. He observes everything. Even in the most private place, even the most private things that we have, God sees everything. In Job 28, 24, he says, for God views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. In the Proverbs 15, he says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Now, for some of you, this may scare you, and some of you, this may bring comfort depending on where you are with God. But because of that, God sees our heart, he sees our motivations, he hears our prayers, and we have his full attention. But then Jesus returns back to how not to pray. Verse 7 through 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Empty phrases means babble, meaningless content. The idea is talking much without content or purpose. And this is done by repeating the same thing over and over again. In Jesus' time, pagan prayers sought to manipulate the gods with many words. One scholar says that they might invoke many names of many deities, hoping that at least one might be favorable to their request. It's like, one of these guys has to hear my prayer, so I'm just going to pray to all of them. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there is this great, great picture. I love this photo so much because, it, like, the prophets of Baal in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, they were basically having a God competition. 
And so they were like, our God's going to bring down fire. They dance around from morning to the afternoon, because I guess they had nothing better to do. And they dance and they pray. They cut themselves so that their God would respond to them. And the reason why I love this picture is because Elijah's just standing there like, all right, cool. And even in Scripture, like people don't want to talk about it. He's just like, maybe your God's relieving himself. Ha <laughs> that's, that's in the Bible. But it's... This is an example. Now, I know this is extreme, but sometimes our prayers can become filled with purposelessness and no content. And it can become a mechanical repetition just simply to get what we want. And here's what Jesus says to that. Do not be like them because your Father knows exactly what you need. Nothing we can say will surprise God. Nothing we will do will take Him off guard like, oh man, I didn't know that. It includes your motives, your secret thoughts. Think about this. As Anglicans, this morning you just did it from the Kenyan liturgy, but as Anglicans, you acknowledge this every Sunday in your colic of purity. Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open. All desires are known. From you, no secrets are hid. This means that when you pray, you don't have to explain or babble or drone on to grab your God's attention. As mentioned earlier, I have two daughters age seven and five. I love them dearly. I do. And I know exactly what they need. I know what their needs are. Yet, I teach them to come and ask me with confidence and trust for what they need. And this is exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us. So then, Jesus gives us a pattern to pray. Now, there are several other books that do the Lord's Prayer more justice than I will, and this is not to be comprehensive, but Jesus shows us how we should come in prayer. First, He tells us to pray with intimacy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father was a title for God rarely used in the Old Testament and always used in reference to a nation and not necessarily to individuals. And so God was frequently seen as Lord Mighty, but here Jesus says that He is our Father, Hear the familial and intimate and corporate language here. Our Father. God is personal. You have a Father who loves you, who hears you, and knows what you need. You have a Father whom you have His full attention. And this is regardless of having a good or bad earthly Father. As our Father, we don't need to do fancy prayers or put on a performance or ramble, but come as His children in honesty before Him. Here's the question. Do we pray to God with intimacy as our loving, merciful, and caring Father? Second, Jesus tells us to pray with purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unlike those that just repeat their prayers over and over again with no purpose or a selfish purpose, our prayers, Jesus says, should come with a God-centered purpose. It should be your kingdom come, your will be done. That God's will and desire for us and the world would reign in our hearts and throughout the earth. That all the things that are a part of the kingdom of heaven, where God's name is already honored, His kingship acknowledged, and His will is done, would be reflected here on earth. And here's what that means. That we would be the kingdom bringers. That we would be the kingdom examples in our homes, in our schools, in our communities, in our jobs. Use us to bring your will, your rule, here and now, through us to others. Jesus says this in, later on in Matthew chapter 6, seek first His kingdom. His righteousness. Here's the question. Do we come to God in prayer seeking what we want first or what God desires for us? 
Then Jesus tells us to pray with confidence. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread here harkens back to the Old Testament when the Israelites in the wilderness were starving and God provided manna to sustain them. This petition is calling upon God to give us what we need for the coming day, to sustain us, whether that's physical, emotional, or spiritual. This is something that Jesus will again address later on when He talks about food and clothing. But because God is our Father and He is in heaven and sees all and knows all, we can come with confidence to Him with our needs. Well, how do you know that? Well, because in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, here's what the author writes. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are yet without sin. Here's my advice. Verse 16, let us then come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we receive mercy and find grace in help of time of need. Come with confidence because you have a Father in heaven. The question, do we come to our Father with confidence knowing that He knows all our needs and sustains us daily? And Jesus says, pray with humility. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Because all of us have sinned, whether you believe it or not. We are in debt to God. Sin is not an action like, I punched my brother, I sinned. It is a disposition. It is the default of every human being. You know, when you get your phone, there's like a default that it goes to. When you reset it, it goes to the default that the original person had it. Our default is sin. And it creates a debt we can't pay. Christ through the inauguration of His kingdom, His death and resurrection on the cross, frees slaves to sin. Knowing this should bring us to a place of humility. Acknowledging our sin puts us in a place for dependence on God, His grace and His forgiveness, but it also humbles us enough to forgive others. St. Augustine calls this the self-inflicted curse. Jesus says, if you can't forgive, then He can't forgive you. Verse 14, This is basically the prayer. Lord, deal with me as I deal with others. Do we pray with humility and awareness of the importance of the forgiveness of ourselves and others? And finally, Jesus says to pray with faith and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This indicates that we are liable at all times to be led astray and to fall. We pray to God to rescue us, to deliver us. This word deliver means to snatch from danger, whether that's ourselves, our desires, or our temptations. A call for urgent action. So when we come to pray this, we come trusting that our Father is more than capable of rescuing us and delivering us from evil. So then, do we pray like we trust that God can and will deliver us, even if it's not the way or the time frame that we would like? So who cares? Who really cares about anything that I just said? I think Jesus sums it up in two statements. The first is this, prayer is for us, not about us. Prayer is for us, it's not about us. Now, I know that's a little difficult for us to take, but Jesus made this plainly clear from the beginning, that these hypocrites want to be seen, they want to be noticed, and when people do that, it becomes about them. And if there's anything that we have seen in our culture for all time, it is always about me, not you. The great pastor and theologian D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the concentration of attention is on the one who is praying rather than on the one whom the prayer is being offered. Jesus already showed us the two dangers of this, that our prayers become about us and our performance of prayer rather than the one we are praying to. 
The second one is, is thinking that the efficacy of our prayers depend on the manner and frequency of prayer by us. And if we don't spend time adoring our Father in heaven, seeking the honor of His name, praying for His kingdom, praying in confidence for His sustaining grace, then the focal point of our prayer will be our desires, it'll be on our requests, and it'll become more about us than about Him. And the Lord's prayer gives us a pattern of moving the attention away from the one who is praying and to the one whom we are offering the prayer to. Second thing is this. Prayer is about communion with God. If you've prayed for a long time, it can be easy to make our prayers mechanical, repeating things over and over again. Now, I've only been Anglican for about three years, and I've been experimenting with the morning and evening prayer. And if you do that long enough, it can become something that becomes mechanical. And sometimes I just need to stop and read the words that I am reading and understanding what I am saying. But here's the second part, and maybe you fall into this category. I think consciously or unconsciously, we treat prayer like going to the customer service desk at Walmart or Target. Have you ever seen people at the customer service? Just go on YouTube and just type in customer service desk Walmart. There are some crazy people who go to that place. But a lot of that times, that's us, right? We, we go to the customer service desk, we demand service, we lay down our complaints and what we need, waiting for him to get it right this time. Waiting on our own timeline, in our way, asking him, all right, God, I don't even be snappy about it. And prayer can be seen purely as transactional and not relational. And it's really, I'm telling you, I've been a Christian a long time. It is very easy to fall into that. And what prayer is meant to be, as Jesus illustrates it to be, is communion with God and to be in His presence. Yes, you should bring your request to Him. I'm not telling you not to. In Matthew chapter 7, 7, He says, ask, request, lay down your requests, the needs that you, you have before me. But this is not the goal, and this is not the aim. The goal is to be in the presence of the King. This is where we are as a culture, is that the culture wants a kingdom without the king. Johnny has said this before. We want all the benefits. We want all the good things of the kingdom. We just don't want the king. And that's where culture has moved. But that's not where we, as his people, it's about the king more than the benefits of the kingdom. And it isn't until we understand who God is and make Him our greatest love, that it will transform the way that you pray. And you do need a particular kind of heart to understand what Jesus is saying and calling you to. This new heart, this new creation, doesn't come from being good or moral. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit and the faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What if Jesus was serious about inviting us to true prayer, that leads to the power and presence of God and the role that it plays in transforming us as His kingdom people. Let's pray. O oh, Almighty God, You pour out on all who desire the spirit of grace and of supplication. Deliver us, rescue us when we draw near to You.
from coldness of heart and wanderings of mind, that with steadfast thoughts and kindled affections, we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more than ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask. Except through the merits and the mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.